Hello and welcome to episode 300 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Alex Jones. Jack Harper could not be bothered to be here with us just yet, but hopefully he'll be with us shortly. If all has gone to plan, the audio should be sounding extra crispy today, so that consider that to be the uh, special edition for episode 300, because ideally deadline day would have lined up as that, and we could have considered that a special milestone. But anyway, plenty to get into this week. We're going to get into all of the big VAR decisions of the weekend, which I'm sure is the main reason people are tuning in, to be honest. Um, I mean, whether you consider VAR for the Arsenal-United game, we're going to hear plenty on that. And then we've got UFC 279. We've got the NFL coming back. So plenty to get stuck into. But first of all, let's get into news of the week. And maybe we're going a bit mad with the buttons, but that's not <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. Well, at least that tells me that. Uh, you all know they're there. I haven't broken into the Andy Gray buttons yet, but I'm sure we'll get there at some point. Anyway, news of the week. Japan has launched a contest to urge young people to drink more alcohol. Incredible. It's not enough. They really Japan. are going. <laughs> they really are going in the opposite direction to the rest of the world. Yeah. A Brazilian man survives 11 days floating alone in a freezer on the ocean. Was there a tiger on it? Well, yeah, that was my, <laughs> that was my question. It's like the default setting there. There's no tiger, there's <laughs> shit stories. Don't get me started on that film, as I've said. The only reason I wanted to see it was because it was in 3D. I leave Sean to book one film and he booked it in 2D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's a Sean shoot guarantee right there. Blackfield and Langley FC goalkeeper sent off for urinating in a hedge. Rules are the rules. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've heard this same story several times before, and but this managed to reach the front page of ESPN. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty incredible, isn't I it? I've playing it, a Sunday league game. I've heard of people Go on. pissing on the way to the game, so they're just walking out to the pitch, someone's gone for a piss, <laughs> and the rest gone, right, well, you can't play. And they thought he was having them on. He's like, no, no, I'm deadly serious. You can't play. Yeah, I it's remember being funny. desperate for a piss during a game and weighing up like, is this team worth pissing myself for? <laughs> it's really is. It's, it's funny because it's completely like it. <laughs> it's completely different in the endurance sport world. I mean, actively encouraged. They go. They, they, it's actively <laughs> encouraged for them to you know go for a wee while riding a bike. For the right cliff, I have to yeah, get half of stuff back. <laughs> um. <laughs> Pilot threatens to turn flight around after passengers airdrop him nudes. <laughs> <laughs> How offensive were these How nudes? How bad were the nudes? I've had enough. Yeah. Why is he also What's treating it like a, like a parent on a, like a holiday where he's driving the car? I'll what? turn it around. I will. I saw this story um, before I was compiling news of the week, hence I have seen past the headlines. And apparently this flight was just rife, just all of the passengers, which is airdropping each other nudes for, for no apparent reason. <laughs> I think one person just started it and it just turned into a pandemic. I'm assuming this was a flight to Magaluf or something. <laughs> um, there is Flight to Japan. The- <laughs> <laughs> There is talk within the France squad that there is video evidence of Paul Pogba's alleged Kylian Mbappe witch doctor curse. <laughs> oh, it's so good. 
Have you not so seen I, this, Alex? I, I have. I'm clueless to this. Um. So Paul Pogba, I think it was last Sunday, essentially did the someone's going to blackmail me, so I'm going to speak out first. And it turns out his brother was basically asking him to pay him off, or he was going to reveal this story that Pogba had hired a witch doctor. What was it? He buried a dead hyena on the center circle at Old Trafford. And he claims it was, what, to spare Mbappe from injury? And his brother's claiming that he was trying to curse Mbappe, if I've got that correct. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Why would you have done that to spare Mbappe injury of all the things? <laughs> you just really like this guy. It's incredible. And then obviously it hasn't aged well with the fact that uh, Pogba's now injured himself. He's out for the season. He's done his meniscus. <laughs> Christ. Sorry, so he's out for the season? It, yeah, if, you, if this was... Um, Jesus. Yeah, it's been in the last like hour oh. this has come out. Um, this is like, if it was in a film, someone would say, you don't mess with the black magic. <laughs> <laughs> He's effectively got a Ouija board out. What did you do? What did you think you would? Whenever a witch doctor gets mentioned, though, I, I've said before, I will never ever fail to laugh. It's just incredible. How do you like? Do you mention that to someone? Else? Do you not happen to know a witch doctor? Do you? Also, I mean, how badly do you think? Oh God, I can't let this get out. And you have you accept being blackmailed <laughs> about it? I go, yeah, fine, run that story. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, shambolic. Um, Guinness World Record, a man rode 38 miles in a giant pumpkin. You know where we're looking here, AJ. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was coming. Uh, Pole dancing axe thrower wins world title. But which thing? So, yeah, this isn't as exciting. It, It turns out she won the axe throwing world championships and she just happens to be a pole dancer. Something's got to pay the bills. Did you see that celebration in the bare knuckle? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you'd end up front row of that. Jesus. I, I saw a quote tweet saying, I feel like bare knuckle is just building all of this whole time up to this one moment. <laughs> what they didn't tell you on that is there was actually a pilot in the front row who left. He was that offended. <laughs> but... uh, if, you, if, you ever, if you ever wondered who was the best axe thrower in the Jones family... It is me. I did win out of all the siblings and the... I've the seen video men. evidence of your brother and I'm not sure you're beating that. No, I definitely won the axe throwing competition. I got to hold the uh, the uh, great axe at the end because I won the competition. I do have photographic evidence. This actually explains a lot that you as a family went axe throwing. I feel <laughs> like you were watching like Game of Thrones on a Sunday. And I think... Book this well, up spontaneously. No, he didn't mention it, the other brother. He was actually at the end of the axe. It's, a, it's, it's between the other two of us to who wins. Sorry, you've gone. It got. It the always gets. It, it, <laughs> it got really, really serious. So, <laughs> I've got like nightmares. Like I do not want to be after Sean in that instance because I can see him flinging that thing over his shoulder. And the next thing you know, you look like that bloke at the medieval video game. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever comes of it as he slices your head off. <laughs> and finally, the World Gravy Wrestling Championships have returned after a two-year break. Wonder if that'll make it to uh, ESPN, the Ocho. I bet the... Uh, well, I don't want to be a pig. I bet the female version does. 
that is actually the picture they use for the headline. Yeah, I didn't so think the lead with the, probably, the male one. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> well, that is your news of the week. Just a quick time to get in now. If you didn't listen to our deadline day pod, I don't really think it's kind of expired because we didn't speak about the games at the time. So if you do want to hear our thoughts on the transfer window, uh, 13 guests on that episode, so plenty to get into. And this week on Movie Madness, we had a week off last week because of deadline day. It is seven psychopaths against Free Fire. So that's one to check for then. And while I'm in the moment of promoing, next Thursday, if you tune into Movie Madness, said it's Movie Madness 150, big milestone. We're previewing, what previewing, reviewing American Pie 1, 2, 3, and the reunion. It's going to be a huge podcast. Make sure you tune in for that one. But Let's get into the sport. Moving on to the football then, it was a controversial weekend with VAR stealing the headlines in just about every game that was played. Um, we're going to start as the weekend ended. I'm sorry to say if you think that's unfair, if you think that's biased, if you think that's against every order we usually go through. Um, hopefully we get this out of the way and then I can kind of regain some composure and then uh, lead the charge for the rest of the episode. It is Manchester United and they did job Arsenal yesterday. I'll start here by saying, if you want a fair analysis of this game from me, you've probably come to the wrong podcast. <laughs> I hate them so, so, so much. <laughs> they are like everything that is wrong with this game, from Fergie intimidating referees for just under 30 years to the cretins like Gary Neville, Roy Keane, countless others that we now have to endure on TV. Uh, that's not even to mention the modern day bastards like Scott McTominay. <laughs> that caveman that somehow has a living running around pushing his weight around and doing almost everything other than play football the incarnation of rex from toy story 2 <laughs> offering nothing but a hard head to bash down the metaphorical door down with and in this case it was gabriel jesus um but we'll get onto that a little bit later i'm sure uh i'd be surprised if there isn't some kind of hit out on McTominay, I know there's all these group chats within the Premier League for shirt swapping. If there isn't at least one chat with people offering up cash for the first for the first person to do him in, I'll be very shocked. <laughs> if someone isn't at least seen a witch doctor, then they don't care enough. <laughs> I mean, it sums up Lakonga that he couldn't even get that job done correctly. To be honest with you, don't go for the calf. Go for his head. I want him diabid. Um. As I said, yeah, VAR stole the headlines. Um, we're going to speak about each individual incident in each of these games, but we'll start with this one. So we got the big promo package beforehand with the Ruben Estroy penalty, the tunnel incident, Will Todd winning the league at Old Trafford, and then several other crimes against football. About three minutes in, Gabriel Jesus is punted off his feet by Chandra Dangi, and look him up if needed. That's D-A-N-G-I for the surname. Um, and he escaped a booking. I was living at this point already, but I thought they were just maybe laying down a marker for the kind of game this was going to be. I spoke to just about everyone that I could uh, speak to ahead of this game, pointed out that Paul Tierney originates from Salford, can walk to the ground from his family home, that we've got Manchester members, Manchester uh, people, Mancunians on the VAR 
as the fourth officials. Don't get me started on him cracking up with uh, Ten Hag after the goals given, uh, the goals disallowed. All of this going on, and I just knew we're going to dominate the ball. They're going to do us on the break. And it was actually a little more sinister than that. All of this, where I thought the marker had been laid down, was made a mockery of when Martinelli is played through on 11 minutes with a beautiful pass by Bakayo Saka. He tucks, and I don't say this lightly, a Thierry Henry-esque finish past David De Gea. I'm usually the eternal pessimist when we find the back of the net. And I didn't even comprehend that this one could be ruled out. There's a coming together between Erdegaard and Eriksson that the referee is looking straight at. Not there's people blocking him. Not maybe his head's turned slightly. He is looking straight at the incident with his fat, bold head. (laughs) And still, he says, nope, I don't see any issue with that. I'm a United fan, but I can't even swing this one in my favour. I'm up. I'm pounding the walls. I'm doing just about everything. I Just like flexing my chest like I'm Chip Hazard in Small Soldiers because I don't know how to release this energy. And then the next thing I know, I see that little VAR screen pop up. I hear Gary Neville talking. It's nonsense, but I think, no, there's nothing they can do here. And the exact thing that I was terrified of pre-game, Paul Tierney from Salford now has an opportunity to decide the state of the big game. The big thing I hear from that little weasel, Gary Neville, (laughs) saying he didn't touch the ball. You are allowed to use your body. It's one of those things where Ericsson goes down in hope, in the assumption that the referee will cave, and the fact he didn't shows how weak he was. We had uh, Erdegaard was getting boshed off the ball, left, right and centre against Fulham, and he gets straight up with the acknowledgement that, look, I shouldn't be so weedy, and then they wouldn't be able to push me off the ball. Ericsson, we're not giving you sympathy anymore. <laughs> the sympathy window is closed. You can't just go down. You can't just go down and get a free kick every single time. At least I thought. You're allowed to use your body. And even if it is one where you watch your back and you go, okay, that could be a foul there. It's not a clear and obvious error. That moment when the VAR's looking at it, they're not supposed to prove that it was a foul. They're supposed to prove that Paul Tierney made a clear and obvious error. And he didn't. There's no way that he can say he did. And the fact that he spends about 40 seconds looking at it, I'm going, how, if I just stand here long enough, it's like a cartoon where you can see this, the thought bubble above their head. If I stand here just long enough, maybe they'll think I'm impartial. Maybe I'm in the clear here. Gary Neville's doing his reverse jinx on there. Like Snape, where you think he's the one casting the curse in the Philosopher's Stone, looking at the floor. <laughs> Except it was my robe that was on fire after this. I was enraged. I tweeted that my head was hot. Not even the expression. My head was genuinely hot. (laughs) Like when your hair bursts to flames in cartoons and someone has to put it out with some water. It was like that. Um, I mean, you watch Green Street and you hear him say, it's just football. What are you doing this for? I was full Tommy Atcher for about five minutes. It was your son, Byron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Well, I didn't know what came over me. Manchester United came over me. And I'm, I'm still just seething with rage when, as expected, 
they take the lead shortly after. Gabrielle charges at Bruno like they're playing British Bulldogs rather than footballers. I don't know what the hell that guy's doing. And then there's quite a nice deft pass to Anthony, admittedly, from Rashford. Zinchenko presses into the middle. And Anthony, I'm going to assume, gave Ramsdale the eyes or something. Because you can say what you want about him as a keeper, and we're not going to do this now. There's no logical reason for you to dive at your near post there unless the striker or the attacker has shown you something. I, I mean, that sounds like an excuse for holograms there. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about we're, we're going to get onto your keeper, so he's a don't bum. Even get me started. He's a bum. He is a bum. Yeah, but he waves at the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I think, it's, I think his head's getting hot again. <laughs> Can you let me cook? I mean, a word on Anthony, to be honest. If I said now that he looks like a Man United player, you'd all know exactly what <laughs> he, I mean. He definitely <laughs> every part of the Man United He's so. like Bruno's equally ugly brother. <laughs> and he gave some of the most ridiculous tricks I've ever seen in my life. And that uncultured Old Trafford crowd were loving it. It was the equivalent of doing the thinker on FIFA Street. Or that skill where you just stand on top of the ball. What are you doing here? I'll tell you what, I do that skill to make people laugh because I can't do anything with the ball at my feet. And that's what Anthony was doing. And I mean, that crowd, the less said about them, the better. But the game carries on. I see the game carrying on the exact same way as the second half starts. There's a penalty we aren't awarded early when Malassia takes out Saka after his shot. You seem to just get a free hit for an attacker. And you can just smash someone after they've shot in the box and get away with it. VAR didn't even check it, by the way. So I, I don't even understand what the threshold is here. They did check I it. Do... There was just nothing wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can get. Are you joking? They didn't show it on TV of them checking it. Genuinely... So don't say, don't say they one don't of the little to. ones. They should have sent him to the monitor. They don't, and then given oh. a penalty, presumably by your logic. Yeah, yeah see... that's more of a penalty than it's a free see, kick. The issue, the issue you've got, goal. the issue you've got is that undermines everything you've already said that I'm about to say is your issue. Because up to then, I largely agree with both. You were in the group chat saying it was a pen. No, I definitely said it wasn't a pen. I said you'd get it on FIFA. I said it wasn't, it wasn't actually a pen. The, FIFA's a very logical game, so there is one, maybe we need more logic. There is one later that they don't bother looking at, which I actually thought potentially was a pen. How can you take out an attacker after he shot at it and not be a foul? Because he didn't properly take him out. If it was a really bad follow-through, I'd go with you and go, you know what? He takes out his standing leg. I mean, it, it just doesn't. I mean, no one other than Arsenal fans think it is. So that, that read into it. Maybe you're all correct and we're all wrong. Or... I would say that to yeah, be the case. Yeah, it could be that. That's on the table. But I might <laughs> suggest it could be the opposite. But carry on anyway. I don't want to interrupt you. Flo. No, I'll, I'll continue. Um... The narrative on Saka with this game, by the way, was odd because he's not been his best. But that's now three assists, which should be four if the wrongly disallowed goal stands and a goal in five games. And he's being spoken about like he's shot to bits, like his son Hong Min, the way he's playing football. We're not talking about Saka being dropped. <laughs> we won't talk about the lack of depth and that's not the reason. Um, we keep beating on the door. Eventually we get the equaliser, probably the scruffiest chance we got. And... Um, does tie in with most of us just asking them to shoot more because Erdogan must be getting fined by the attempt. There's no other reason to suggest this guy can't shoot. That one didn't help his cause though, did it, Christ? No, no. But then he's got, what, three and two games before that, so he was cooking. On a rewatch, Saka actually grabs the badge and I do wonder if that's in response to Anthony doing it prior. Nice. 
But for their goal, Laconga, I've had it with this guy. <laughs> this is the reason you have me twerking for Douglas Louise on deadline day. Do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? Yeah, I was there, Lee. I remember it. Yeah. Douglas Louise. And still, I watched him play once on Sunday. And to show how angry I was, I went and bought Douglas Louise on Football Manager. Just to prove a point. If Laconga could see my save, <laughs> you're being dropped to invest in someone to replace you. Douglas Louise produced an absolute worldy pass in the seat game as well, just to really rub salt in the room. <laughs> I mean, he's just sloppy in possession. We've pressed too high up, which I hope is something that we'll learn from because if you look at the way United beat us, it's pretty much the blueprint as to what Spurs are going to want to try and do against us in a couple of weeks. It is a great pass by Bruno inside the centre-backs. And Rashford does do his best to spoon it wide. But a deflection does take it in. The three substitutions. I know Zinchenko didn't train in the week. Odegaard was a doubt coming in. I had a moment today where Twitter was kind of suggesting to me that these subs were made at 1-1. As people were saying, well, you take the draw. And it wasn't. We were chasing the game at this point, but... Still felt a bit rash. I don't... Yeah, well, yeah, because when we... And I can say Fulham and United are different. I actually think Fulham gave us a tougher game, which makes no sense given the result, but hopefully you know what I mean. Mm. We did similar to beat Fulham where we took Tierney off, which would have been Zinchenko in this situation. We brought on Eddie and went 5-3-2 with Saka and Martinelli as wingbacks. And this looked like it just had far less structure. It, If we're going back to FIFA, this was just like pumping on ultra-attacking because one pass should not cut through your whole team like that, especially a team that you know the only chance they had of beating us was playing like that, just quick counter-attack, because on the ball they could not live with us. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you say it was five at the back. If it, if it was against Fulham, it definitely wasn't here, because you kind of had three centre-backs with no wing-backs, and then when one got pulled out, it just left a massive hole in the middle, which got exploited twice. Well, Let's say it's, it's as good as a player as he is. Ericsson shouldn't really be running clean through, should he? It no, should, no. shouldn't happen. The guy was literally pronounced dead. You <laughs> should not be it, bursting through your, mid, your midfield and defence like that. It, it's a tricky one because I do think more times than not, going for the game will get you the rewards if you have the attacking options that we have and the attacking options that all of our clubs have. Uh, it just wasn't quite managed right on this occasion. And you do still need to maintain some kind of structure. This is why, as much as sometimes we're asking for it late in the games, these five subs, you're rarely just going to see five attackers pumped on for five defenders. Like, it's just not going to work like that. And there needs to be a balance. And maybe this is where the lack of depth shows in that we, we don't quite have that. And so it was square pegs, round holes. And Especially with the game, 20 minutes left on the clock. It's just five minutes. Yeah. That's a different story. But the, the way you were playing, you didn't need to, to no, do that. You had so much of the board that you were doing the attacking. So it was on 71 minutes, I believe. Mm. And I don't know, and I still don't agree with it if, if that is the case, if it was one where, I don't know, a, a sports scientist or whatever has said, I think Erdegaard can have 17 minutes stay at absolute maximum or we're going to risk aggravating the injury. And he spoke about how they've been trying to deal with parties injuries and it's just not working. Basically, the guy is made out of whatever adjective you want to use and it's, it's just not working. And so I... I do wonder if maybe there was some hesitancy because of that. I don't know what you thought of Fabio Vieira. I thought he actually did look quite bright, but this isn't an ideal place to be making your debut. 
I thought he looked quite bright, and then I saw someone say to Twitter to go, well, he already looks a better player than Odegaard. And I was like, that's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing in the net for me today. I don't know if I don't know if all of your fan bases are like this, and I do see it particularly with the Liverpool midfield, which yeah. is more understandable in some cases. Do all fan bases just like hate on certain players for no reason? Because there's like no reason for Arsenal fans to hate Odegaard, and yet there is a contingency that do. Very weird. Yeah, no, we all have it. Very is it such an obvious player? Like, I guess this would be the equivalent of. How far to Is it Van Dyke for Liverpool? Is 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 Erdogan? Or, would would that be the equivalent? I don't know. Would it be? Maybe it probably be. Firmino. Yeah. Would it have been like Mane? I was about to say Mane when he was there. Probably that sort of thing. Where if he's not your best player, he's up there. Yeah. It's 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 bad. Has started this season absolutely on fire. By the way, Erdogan's probably in, in yeah. that Fulham game. I thought he looks like the best player in the league, the way he's playing that game. Well, the after the first game of the season, there was a criticism. Why doesn't Erdegaard shoot? And then he goes and scores two against Bournemouth. And then I think a couple of our players yesterday looked like they were injured. I don't know what your thoughts are on the choice to start Zinchenko over Tierney. I guess, again, that's one where if you are planning on dominating the ball, then... Zinchenko is the correct choice. If you are looking at them as an attacking threat, then you say, right, we pick our better defender here. But it wasn't like Anthony had a lot of joy out of it. I never get, no, I never get no. the goal. But if he'd given Zinchenko the runaround, then I'd go, well, maybe you should have gone with uh, Tony. But as it was, I think the way you were in possession, the Zinchenko move made a lot of sense. It, it's frustrating because we probably haven't played that well at Old Trafford in several years. Yeah, and yet not. it's the worst result we've had there in several years. Like they, they kept saying a lot about our record against Man United recently. I think we've beaten them like four out of the last six times or we've unbeaten four of the last six occasions. It's just, I don't know. Well, going into the game, I was kind of like, I don't know why. And I get it because you're always the, the most pessimistic about your own team. But I, was like, I don't quite know why Arsenal fans are so worried about this game. I mean, the way they're playing and even in the results United have got, I mean, it was probably the closest Leicester have got to getting, you know, when, yeah. the board, when they played them. They weren't impressive in that one or the Southampton one. They've just about got by. In terms of performance, I thought if Arsenal don't treat this as, oh God, this is a huge game, if they treat it like they have the rest of the games, it should be almost no problem. Uh, and there were spells in the game where it looked like that might be. And then other yeah. spells where certainly after the second goal, Arsenal did lose their heads a bit. Because I do think, and you're rarely going to get this, if you if you do it without reading into the game state or anything, I do think if you just look at challenges alone, McTominay could have been sent off. He's had about three <clears throat> three or four bookable offences in there, but he does seem to be the most Teflon guy in the league. It is insane. It was shocking just to see him get booked. I didn't think when I backed him and Xhaka to both be booked, it would be, uh, well, I thought that was going to be a banker coming in. Did Xhaka end up getting we- No, he didn't. No, I didn't no. think so. No. <laughs> um, I can make a case for us having three penalties in that game. I can make the case, just I want the wording to be very clear there. The one on Saka, I do think you're never going to get it, but I don't understand why, because if that's outside the area, that's guaranteed to be a free kick. Maybe not in this game, actually. The one on Eddie... uh, The Maguire one on Eddie, right? Because, yeah. yeah. I I thought this was... I couldn't believe it was getting no focus at all. I thought this was certainly least if if we're at least making just like in-game comparisons it's the same kind of challenge that puts Ericsson off the ball 
in that there's no contact with the ball. You've used your body to go in, and just this is this is just far more blatant. Erdegaard, at least, it's his body that's checking in behind Ericsson. This, he's got both arms around him, and he just shoves him out of the way. I think the only thing that saves Maguire here, because I thought the same, I thought it was a pen, um, but the only thing that saves him is the fact that the ball is going away from Nketiah, and he's not getting it, whether he's there or not. Is that a thing, though? Because we've seen in other times when... So nine times out of ten, when you get the penalty where the striker knocks it around the keeper and the keeper takes him out. We we rarely count on the fact that the striker can get on the end of it. It's if the keeper takes them out, the keeper's taking them out. Yeah, no, you're right, actually, in that sense. And so this one, Maguire does get away with it all the time. Uh, photographic memory in bad decisions that United have had against us. But I can remember one in the game when we actually played well at Old Trafford and we lost 3-2 where Erdegaard gave away a penalty and uh, I mean Sancho was embarrassing jumping on Ronaldo's shoulders doing Sue and all of this by the way <laughs> what a ghost ghost that guy was yesterday telling me he had a good start because Van Dijk froze on him for 30 seconds yeah I, I resent the fact that we had a shocker against him because he's been just dross in most games yeah. I've seen <laughs> it seems I think it's insulting that this guy gets compared to Saka I yeah, I mean if if someone's making the argument that Sanchez better, I, I'm not sure what they've been watching myself. I, maybe maybe I missed it, but I, I don't. See no, it. it's like when you, like you look at boxes now and they're showing like the highlights of them like 20 years ago when they were fighting journeymen. <laughs> like, I'm not having a Sancho Man United compilation include Bundesliga highlights. I'm sorry, we, <laughs> we're not letting that run. But. There's the Tomiyasu one, which we didn't actually get to see closer, so I've only seen it from the initial angle, but I'd at least like to have seen that again because Maguire, again, just smashes across him and the game has gone at that point. But look, I'll just be completely upfront here. McTominay should have been sent. We should have had three penalties. We should have had a goal and reparations from the FA for atrocities over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and I can be completely honest and say I went into this game ready to be annoyed by a controversial refereeing call. And so... I'm I'm thinking everybody, every Arsenal fan appeared to be... Well, it was a bad weekend and then you go to Troll Trafford and it's like, oh God, this ain't going to go well. But we can keep hearing it's not the technology, it's the people applying it. But at some point, there is too much technology and too much of a desire to use it. Focus more attention on getting a camera in line with play. Focus on all of these things. You shouldn't be looking to try and disallow a goal. Because before VAR's in, are we even considering that one from Ericsson? The fact that VAR's in is why he's gone down and stayed down. And we're going to talk about other ones where players have done the exact same later this same weekend. But there was the tweet that said, we seem to be... uh, on the basis of kind of letting things play out until it comes to a goal. And then we look it back and say, hang on a minute, that was a bit too tough. Yeah. But then even then, what you had the one in the uh, Brighton-Leicester game for the Leicester goal, I'm going to say it was. was Tielemans gets boshed off by someone. He either does it or the other way around. And it's a harder challenge than the one you get from Ericsson. It's just horrible. It's just horrible to watch. They can keep putting more technology in and I don't know if these people have seen iRobot, if they've seen Terminator, the technology will always turn on you. 
<laughs> and I think we saw, I think we saw the start of that Old Trafford yesterday. That would have been a nice point to finish on, but I just realised I have another bullet point. <laughs> Keane can say it's about results, <laughs> which is right. But you can get these Fugazi results. Like we had 20 of them in a row under Emery. I'm not ready to get too drunk on United just yet. In fact, them going, what, are they away at Palace or home to Palace this weekend? Away at Palace, I think. Okay. That's probably a tougher game than us in terms of the game state and how we're going to play against them and how Palace are going to play against them. I think most people could have scripted this game before and tell you how it was going to go and it went pretty much as planned. Some naivety from us and we're due to batter someone. The question has to be that Arteta said before the transfer window shut that we needed to add more attacking options and that's a couple of games now where we should really be burying people and it hasn't quite clicked. And so we just need that to click in soon. Probably famous last words, looking at how their midfield played against Liverpool, but on paper, Everton at home should be a pretty nice game to try and get things back on track. But we'll see We'll see from last season, because last season, one loss turned into two losses, turned into three yeah. losses. So we're going to find out a bit more about the team this Saturday, because the last time we played them at home, they'd already promoted and they were more... Uh, interested in seeing whether Liverpool lost the league or not. So I think it'll be a much different game and it's on the players to turn the turn the domination into results because I think we played six games now. Six games, five games. Six games. And I think we've been the better team in all of them. And so over the course of the season, you hope, you hope that turns out the way you want it to be, but we have to wait and see. It's just the Lakonga thing's an issue. If the club are looking at him, and he has to know if the club are bidding for Douglas Louise on deadline day, we don't trust you. Yeah. And for a guy who was on all or nothing saying, I just want to fucking play. Well, you're playing now. So you best make the most of it, big man, because right now you're looking like shit. <laughs> it's people used to say that Ainsley Maitland-Niles looked um, high when he was on the pitch. Like he was just in another dimension. <laughs> At least he looked cool while he was doing it. <laughs> Lekonga is just a guy that looks like he's never felt pressure in his life. Like I was trying to think of the most pressure I felt. Instantly, I was saying, when you oversleep by 10 minutes to school and your mum would like burst down your door. I don't think Lekonga's ever felt that pressure. And it shows in these games and uh, it's going to be painful. Anyone have anything nice to say about Arsenal and nothing else before we move on? Um, anything nice? The silence is quite deafening yeah. there, actually. I mean, I've, I mean, I don't really want to praise Arsenal, but you looked good and then those changes just looked awful. Like, you put all those attackers mm. on and there's yeah. just no cohesiveness at all. So, I guess it's just the inexperienced manager, potentially. He'll learn from that. I don't know if it's a good thing for us or a bad thing for us that we still had like two or three chances to score after that. Like, I don't know if that's a good sign for United or not that they dealt yeah. with it or the fact that they still I, conceded those chances with how reckless we were. I think the matchup was just something that United aren't used to. That United usually come up against a low block and, that, and that's their undoing because they haven't got the quality to get through it. The only way they were going to win this is, is by you giving up space and you just seem to do that too many times. Yeah, I, th- I thought people were trying to give Ten Hag too much credit 
after the I, game. Like I saw what's his name, uh, Goldbridge saying, you know, he, he just hoodwinked Arteta by the fact that he brought on Ronaldo and that meant that Arsenal just assumed that they could just press that that much higher. It didn't. We, we took players off and then the kind of the formation fell to pieces. Nothing to do with Ronaldo, who was shite again, by the way. Just kicked the post and did nothing else. Sorry, Alex, go on. No, I was going to say that like, I, I did think that some of the pundits had it like I, I don't understand where this loving for United came from after the match. Like Keane was sort of saying pre-match that he couldn't see United losing this game. I I thought there was nothing to suggest. Like, of course they got a result against Liverpool, but Liverpool are very hit and miss at the moment. They got a scrappy victory after that. There was nothing that we saw from United going into this team that had them as a locked-in threat compared to what Arsenal have been able to produce so far this season. So I'm not really sure. Like that ultimately the deciding factor at the weekend was some decisions went United's way. Arsenal still showed a lot of the quality that we've seen. They just weren't were unable to pull it off. But I think Merce, Paul Merce was fair in his assessment of you don't go out of that game feeling like you got played off the pitch and you like all of the good work that you've done in the last in the first five games are is to waste at all. I think you there is positives to take from it. Um, you can go into the next game still carrying the same amount of confidence that you going into that game. <laughs> Sorry, go on. What the hell was that? <laughs> giving him a round of applause for giving him a praise. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I don't think, um, I, I don't feel any differently. So say if Ars- we had Arsenal this coming weekend, I wouldn't feel any more. I wouldn't feel any more confident after that result after the weekend. I, I think it was a, not to say it was a fluky win for United, but you get where I'm coming from. Mm. There was a lot of positives. I think Conte has to be looking at that and saying that's the exact way that we need to try and beat them. And I think Artestra has to look at that and say, well, this is what we need to sort out before we play Tottenham in three weeks' time. The thing is, it's yeah. damning because last season in the second North London derby. Arteta knew exactly what he had to do to face Conte's team. He knew exactly how he had to set up. We knew how we'd go out to play him and he failed to do that last year. I'm, I know there was a... I've had a tough weekend enough. Let's not bring this back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. We'll move on. It is, uh, I will say, it is magic, the optimism United have got again. I need that. I need that bit of hope, that glint <laughs> of positivity. Keane was drunk on him. I've never seen anything like it. He's saying they're certain for the top four. He's, he went you, all in and I'm, uh, it's going to be glorious. We can watch the downfall all over again. It's fantastic. As fun as they are as fans, do you think we put too much into these games against the top six? Because Arsenal beat Chelsea last season, Arsenal beat Tottenham last season, Arsenal beat United last season. And ultimately, they counted for nothing at the end of the season. Mm. They're six out of what 19 other teams that you're going to play. Window what was, um, it's, it's fine. We, we, we all know what you meant. It's fine. Yes, the, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the bulk of your games are going to be against teams that aren't the quote-unquote big six. So that's why always it's ridiculous when they go, you haven't played anyone yet. It's like, well, we're going to spend the bulk of this season not playing these teams you say we have to beat. And if you're in a position of Arsenal, which isn't necessarily winning the league, although maybe you were starting yeah. to think, then, um, <laughs> no, no. then you don't have to beat all of the teams around you, you, you know. What are we then saying? You have to beat all of the big six. You can win a few of those games. 
then uh, well, if, if you look at how quick Palace away is, stop being a tough game after we won it <laughs> after we won there on the opening day. If you look at if you look at um, the two title contenders last season, Liverpool and City, I, I think, and this is just the top of my head, I think Liverpool had a better record last season against the top six sides than City did. And well, City won the league, so well, Spurs I, just fucked everyone there. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's move on to uh, another game in which we did have some uh, questionable VAR calls, and that was in Chelsea against West Ham. Here we go. Chelsea clinched a 2-1 comeback against West Ham. Dramatic fashion. Kai Havertz scores an 88th minute winner. Late equaliser from Maxwell Corne that's ruled out by VAR. Um, it's kind of a mix-up at the back for Chelsea. The goal was chalked off after Jared Bowen was deemed to have fouled Edward Mendy in the build-up. Um, Jack, I dare say if we... Um, give you the floor here to give us your take on it because I'm actually quite worried. My palms are sweating. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you look at it. First of all, it's horrendous goalkeeping. Um, before we even get... We're in agreement on the first part. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Why he hasn't even just tried to catch that? It's not exactly that that difficult to catch it and if you catch it it makes the foul more believable because it's like oh well he would have got the ball if he hadn't been kicked but what if uh, Bowen wasn't there so you could kind of make a case for it the fact he's palmed it six yards away from him um makes it look completely unbelievable now there's contact <laughs> Here we go. Um, so the thing is, right? If you look at it logically, I've looked at it from many different positions here. One, if it's given against us, I'm fucking fuming. Um, like if that's at the other end, I'm calling for the referee's head. I However, think that might be the most telling angle. I like the Jack satire debating how what are this going the other way. However, if Byron's asking for a penalty for a follow through. For a challenge after the ball's gone. Don't you dare. In the last game. <laughs> then obviously, this is exactly the same. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not. Yes. This so is what we're in for. If calling for that, I'm, I'm glad to have some support on mm. this pod for a change. Yeah. Yep. Sounds like Byron's with you. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he's your partner. Hey, I'm, I, I haven't given you my point of view yet. So I've given you You're jumping to conclusions, AJ. You're jumping to conclusions, my old mate. So I haven't given you my point of view on this. My point of view on this is it's absolutely fucking hilarious. <laughs> and it couldn't have happened against a better bunch. <laughs> well, yeah, I got to give you the news, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Because I was, I was driving back from Germany at the time, so I couldn't watch it. And I heard something on the radio, and I assumed that it's another one of those where the keepers tried to go up and claim the ball and been knocked in the air. And it's like, you kind of give them, but it's a bit annoying. I know they don't give those. We saw that yeah. on Wednesday. And then I actually looked at it and I would just burst out laughing. I was like, I fucking can't believe this. <laughs> However, what I will say is that what happens against Chelsea, the whole world's a <laughs> But we're coming, we're coming <laughs> back here. Come on. Vicious, Come on. Vicious, Alex, uh, Alex, I don't know what's happening to me or Mike here. It's hurting everyone. <laughs> 
you've yeah, gone we're, proper we're, crackly. Yeah, we're, we're coming up against a neck-breaking <laughs> hair pull a couple of weeks ago, which cost us the game. So we get one in our favour. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the whole world loses their minds. <laughs> Everyone's going on about, um, oh yeah, we're absolutely robs. And Tony shouldn't have been on the pitch to score. No, Jack. Con- nearly took Thiago's head off. What about Reese James? And well, he shouldn't have been on the pitch because that was after. Um, oh, and anyway, and then the Loftus Street one, I've been having that thrown in my face. It's Antonio's fault for running into it. <laughs> Can't help it, he's six foot four. Jack, can I? Um... And, then the, and then the icing on the ugliest cake you have ever seen in your life is Antonio pulling Mendy down for the first goal anyway, or someone pulling him down. Clearly, see a shirt pull. So, if anything, we should have won one nil, and there'd have been no controversy. Jack, can I read you uh, David Moyes' comments, which I'm sure may have been music to your ears? You, um, you certainly can. He says it is a scandalous decision, absolutely rotten from one of the supposedly elite referees. Um, I don't know if you want to read these in a Scottish accent, TK, if you want me to carry on. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to get it wrong, really. <laughs> okay. Uh, I support a lot of the VAR stuff. I actually think the goalkeeper dives. He's faking an injury because he cannot get to the next one. He did the same on the first goal as well. The referee somehow gets that so wrong. It's incredible. He then speaks so to I- other he then speaks to other official, uh, reporters and he says, have you seen it? The goalkeeper comes to take it and actually fumbles it about five or six yards then he acts as if he's got a shoulder injury. I'm amazed that the VAR sent the referee to see it. I thought even if he goes to the TV, there is no way he's overturning it. It was a ridiculously bad decision. The referee should have taken responsibility. There's no excuse for that not to be a goal. I've lost faith in the people who are putting it up for VAR. I can't see how the goal isn't given. I think I agree with all of that, apart from the fact that the first one should have been disallowed. So it should have been 2-1 anyway. Well, Tuchel said... Chelsea did get lucky with the decision, but he added that it was the correct one. And he said he wanted his side to build on the win moving forward. He, Go on, Tommy. he pointed to the decision against Tottenham, Romero and Cucurella, as his reason for not commenting, but he is right to mention it, he says. Yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, it was a ridiculous decision. However, the first one shouldn't have counted, so I don't know why they were crying so much. Well, there's something in the. If you can, I'm um, not even going to do, do the Arsenal thing here, so well, just pretend it's someone else. Kamara makes more contact on Ramsdale and they said that's fine. So what is the threshold in terms of making yeah. contact with the goalkeeper? No, I think the wider discussion that we sh- I should be having as a Chelsea fan around this is you know the one thing that negates all of this? A keeper that isn't an absolute fucking reason. <laughs> like, you if, did if, say if, early on with Mendy that he looks like he just kind of does enough the right things I, I, and I, it was just that you had Kepper in his place and so everything yeah. felt a bit more special he's had Ballon d'Or nominations in between that though I, I and he demanded that. that I tweeted that three weeks after he signed where he looked like a 20 million pound keeper and we've been so devoid of any goalkeeping prowess to the point of just catching a ball for so long that he looks that good he hasn't done anything in a Chelsea shirt that I don't think he shouldn't have done if that makes sense he hasn't mm. He's done the bare minimum, and now he's not even doing I that. I think that's a bit harsh. I, I don't think it is. He's never pulled off a wonder save that hasn't been directly above him, which is the easiest wonder saves to make. Like, it, short reactions, the one against Brentford sticks out in my mind is a really, at last season, which is a really good save. But apart from that, like, everything just seems to go through him. And he's now getting beaten at his near post consistently. He's now fumbling balls consistently. And he's now uh, misplacing passes 
consistently to the point where it cost us the game against Real Madrid in the Champions League last season, cost us the game against West Ham away last season, and he's cost us this season, but I can't remember which one's alive for me because it all gets caught well, up in the whirlwind of his own his confidence. What if I, it, so we'll would it bring you any joy if I read you what Connor sent me? Yeah, well, actually, I think it might do. Uh, I told him that he couldn't be on today, unfortunately. And uh, he said, I want an absolute roasting to VAR. I want Jack's thoughts on Reese James doing exactly what Maguire did during his Anthony Taylor rant. And a message I actually can't read out on here. Um, there must yeah. be you can't read out. <laughs> and then he said, every person on earth agrees how bad the decisions were apart from Chelsea fans and not even all Chelsea fans actually. No. But they've got yeah. the three points, so admitting it wouldn't change anything. I agree that most of the decisions were wrong, but for a change, it wasn't against us. So I'll take it. It's the scary thing here that in both this West Ham game and in the Arsenal game, the referee actually gets the initial decision correct, and it's some neek in a box that yeah. rules them out. Like the fans in the yeah. ground, which is a separate point, are treated with such contempt in these situations. Well, again, you're missing out the fact that. He got the first call wrong because the first goal should have been ruled out for West Ham. Uh, no, because Mendy does do this and Moyes is right there. I'm glad he's pointed it out. He does he's flail around every single time. Yeah, I mean, he does pull his shirt. He should have caught it in the first place, but his shirt was pulled in the aftermath. It pulls him down into the goal. Well, the, the, so, we, yeah, we really need some kind of level, uh, some kind of understanding as to what contact is and isn't allowed with the keeper because at the time the Ramsdale one, and you can go back and check my messages at the time. I wasn't arguing too much with it, mainly because of the fact that keepers probably do need a bit less protection. Um, I mean, Petr Cech just ruined it for everyone. And so... <laughs> Not on the Cech. Well, wearing the skull cap really did kind of... You made your point now. And so... Well, it just goes around to people in wheelchairs. Like, Look, you made your point. <laughs> Get up. <laughs> I think you've taken that a bit too far. It's a little step too far. In this case, just tell us what if you're allowed any contact with the keeper, no contact, because we don't need to go back there, but Jack said that there should be no contact made with the keeper as soon as he's off the floor. Tough pop, tough pop. I mean, there there isn't in there isn't in rugby, so why should there be in football? Well, because it's a different sport for a start. I'm not advocating yeah, that they tackle them in the day, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Harry Maguire did that on Enketia. Mm. But you're not you're not allowed to if a person's in the other, they must be allowed to catch it. But it's like, just play like FIFA and then you have no problem. But VAR, we were told, was to kind of eradicate these major issues that the keeper has missed. Do you think, Jack, and it's hard to say now with the way Mendy does go down and everything that happens after, do you think if I just showed you a replay after and you say you watched it on Match of the Day and they didn't cover it at all, do you think you'd complain about what's happened to Mendy or do you think you wouldn't think any? you wouldn't think twice? Um, I wouldn't think I wouldn't have thought twice. I wouldn't even notice no. the contact. I'm on a, because we like, said, didn't we, before that the way to kind of uh, get past these is if you just took a video and showed it to a random bloke in the street and said, "Can you point out why this goal has been disallowed?" Yeah, I mean, I look at it and I think I've seen goals given for much worse fouls on keepers or pe- or players for that matter than that. So it is quite. Well, I think West Ham fans have a slightly so. different view because they got away with um, playing rugby with Allison. Was it last season or the season before? Mm-hmm. And Liverpool didn't get the call there. And then there was tantrums after that from the other side. And so I think, I think West Ham fans thought they were in the clear. 
it's just the inconsistency piece, isn't it? It's just the fact that no one knows what the fuck's going on anymore. <laughs> um, I guess football's more of a game of nuances with other sports. It's cut and dry, like cricket. You're either out or you're not. Whereas well, they've even started yeah. making offside calls subjective, which <laughs> is a crazy place for us to be getting to. Well, yeah, yeah, when it was brought in, we thought that'd be cut and dry, easy. Turns out even that's difficult. There's no and 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 to be fair, I preferred it the old way mm. because I don't celebrate goals the same anymore. I don't celebrate. I mean, I I just I don't get disheartened when they've scored because all oh, this could be ruled out. I think like the, I just don't. It's, it's not as fun. It's not as like raw. It's not as emotional because after it, the season that it first came in, and I was jumping jumping around the ridge <laughs> in Abbeydale in front of Liverpool fans when Aspilicueta scored for it to be ruled off offside. <laughs> I've, I've I think never, that might be the ever, finest advert to keeping VAR I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I've never been the same <laughs> since. So it's just you can. Oh, it's just it's just not as fun anymore. It was the main thing I took away when me and TK did our Premier League years pod that so frequently you saw that little look to the linesman in the celebrations, and that's it. You're in the clear. And I don't think we should uh, abandon technology completely. And I do think that now you've introduced it people that think they're just going to wake up one day and go, you know what? It was better before. Let's get rid. Especially when it's in so many leagues, like when it's in every league in Europe and it's in the Champions League, you're just not going to not have it in your league, well, I guess. The Premier League introduced its elite referee development plan earlier this year in what they say was an effort to improve standards. Howard Webb leading the charge, by the way, fuck me. How the hell <laughs> do any of us have a hope? <laughs> he comes in at the end of the year. Should that, Howard Webb aside, the best thing the Premier League has done in the last 20 years is we we stopped turning our nose up to some to some extent uh, importing. And should we not just be looking at all of these officials all over the world and saying, look, you're the best guy in La Liga. Come over here and referee in the Premier League. You're the best guy in the MLS, in Liga, whatever. We shouldn't be relying on this bunch of bandits every single week to make the same errors again and again and again. We shouldn't be able to look at referee. Jack shouldn't sit down on a Saturday and go, Anthony Taylor, oh God, I shouldn't look at almost every referee that's around. Oh no. (laughs) It's an issue. And I don't think it's as simple as that because I do think if you put a big robot in the middle of the pitch that was programmed in after the first week of the season, we'd be on Twitter going, have you heard that robot was actually made in Manchester? (laughs) <laughs> and so you're never going to escape it completely but there's got to be ways you can limit um, it because if the point was to limit the controversy it's not it's not working why don't they get foreign refs in the VAR box if they don't want foreign refs in the game get them in the VAR box get, like, that's what I would suggest I don't even think we need to do the monitor thing for the most part for ones where it's blatant it should be as simple as some bloke in his ear saying what, I, what I'd love is if it was like rugby or cricket where it goes up on a big screen and the whole crowd can see but you don't even see that do you at the ground that's what they don't let you do it it, which is weird if if the ref was looking up at the big screen and had the whole stadium like going absolutely wild around him that would just create so much theater and actually would make it put that decision up at the west ham stadium everyone's just going to be thinking what the hell am i seeing here what the hell are they doing (laughs) yeah it would start riots and it'd be hilarious there's i saw no way sorry tiger like helping this because our, our officials aren't great 
if you listen, look at people writing about La Liga, they're already complaining about their officials and the length of time, certainly with VAR decisions there, it's even worse. So then we'll get foreign refs in, we'll quickly get used to which ones are bad out of those ones. The age of the internet and social media is that we know these referees' names because, not only because of how bad they are, but we know where they're from, everything. And it's set. The whole narrative is set. It's like, right, I fucking detest this guy. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, Anthony Taylor can do in a Chelsea game to redeem himself. <laughs> Zero. doesn't what, matter what? if he gives every decision for it. It's set. So there's no way around it. And we'll do it with the next lot of referees as well. Yeah. <laughs> what, we should, what we should do is give VAR 30 seconds to make a decision. Because if it isn't obvious in 30 seconds, then it's not obvious. So Paul Tierney it took 40 seconds it. after he's got someone in his ear telling him what's happened, and he's still looking at it going, what the hell happened? By the way, I think on that, it is true that I don't think he thought that's a foul. I think, but he's too cowardly that once he's been sent to the screen, he has to overturn it. I think he didn't think that was a foul. And he went, no, I got it. But that, that shouldn't even be one. There, should, there shouldn't even be anyone in his ear about that. No, because that was a debatable I foul. I could see it being given either way, and I wouldn't have had an argument with whatever was given what? on the field. But once, if, if you say I that, re- don't bother going and chalking a goal off because of it. No, because this I is reckon- where I think people yesterday, I mean, I was in a fit of rage, so I wasn't explaining myself as well. I don't disagree that you could give it as a foul. Mm. That part, I don't disagree with at all. If it had blown in the moment, I'd have complained. And I'd have complained if it was the most blatant foul in the world. But afterwards, I'd be able to look at it and go, well, I wouldn't even be worried about it because it, it would have, have gone, to been goal, gone in no. that moment. But do you think? Um, do Do you think it's um, the VAR has become a separate entity and it's no longer a tool for the referee on the pitch? So, in that situation, say if it's the it's referee good. has to trigger. Uh, I don't know what's going on with your mic here, Alex. Uh, I've got you turned right down. I'll try and talk slower. That sounds yeah, right. that sounds all right there. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't. I I think um, the referee can no longer use VAR as a tool. VAR is a separate entity that has an influence on the game. So in the situation in the Arsenal match, if say for example VAR is triggered by the referee saying, "Can you have a look at that?" that situation doesn't happen. Um, but now if you don't, you're going down the opposite route. If you've got a separate entity off the pitch saying, "I think you need to go and have a look at this." Of course, there's going to be situations which, you know, violent conduct off the ball and all that kind of stuff, which, yeah, okay, I can understand that situation. But that's a separate that's a separate issue. That's like a clear and obvious vi- act of violence or something off the off the ball that's an obvious need to be obviously needs to be looked at that doesn't have to affect the fur of play. But whereas if you've got a clear and obvious potential error of like a bit of contact like that in the middle of the pitch, that's something like that decision-wise is solely down to the referee. And then if he wants a closer look at it, he can trigger the VAR to have a look at it. I just, it's, you've got two conflicting opinions there that have, and one of them has been overruled through pressure. Mm. Well, in separate games, then we had Newcastle against Palace. um, And today the PGMOL have come out and I don't know why they think this is ever going to help have said that the VAR decisions that saw the Newcastle United and West Ham goals disallowed was incorrect. Mm. Um, Newcastle thought they'd scored 51 minutes in. Crystal Palace defender Tyrant Mitchell puts it into his own net and it's calmer like before your eyes here because he shoves Joe Willock into his own keeper. The ball then deflects back off Tyrant Mitchell and it's an own goal. And then 
Michael Salisbury in the VAR booth sends uh, the official to go and take a look and, and they rule out the goal. And it's, if the Crystal Palace defender is the one pushing him into the keeper, I don't know how the hell you can you can disallow this. And I do I did have somewhat of an awakening when I had Newcastle fans messaging me all these incidents going, see, the Premier League has an issue with us. And if I'm seeing Arsenal fans saying the Premier League have an issue with us, and I'm seeing Liverpool fans saying the Here Premier we go. League so have an issue with us. You're following the breadcrumbs. I still do think the Premier League. Yeah, is an issue we, with us. I and there's going to be a Newcastle fan listening to this going. I still think it's just us. No, no one else. And there's going to be Liverpool fans saying it's just us. Oh, I was just making a joke there. But, no, um, but is, as much as you know, it's a semi joke, really, because people will. Like Jack just brought it up here. He's basically said that West Ham one probably shouldn't have happened, but look, we've had plenty go against us. Yeah. And everyone, the thing is, we'll never start at net zero again. So everybody thinks that we're owed a couple of bad decisions every single game. So you'll never ever get back to the point of zero because it doesn't matter how many go in your favour you'll always remember that one that went against you and go well we are we're owed this one can we not just all put it under the rug clean slate let's start again well no because you get more decisions than anyone United and Spurs are you kidding me are you kidding me <laughs> I'm gen- I believe that in my heart of hearts as well. oh, you of course my mind you would there. of course you um, would Liverpool TK um Maybe snuck beneath the radar because as of Saturday lunchtime, we thought that a particular tackle in this game was going to be the most controversial thing of the weekend. Mm. Virgil van Dijk puts in a tackle on Onana, which you see it back and you've got that Gary Neville. Ooh, Always stressed here. Yeah, when he did that on the Lekonga one, I was terrified. And then I saw it back up. What the hell yeah, are you talking yeah. about? Um, the explanation given by Peter Walton after this was that because the initial contact was made with the foot rather than the leg, you can do less damage there. And so the maximum punishment in this situation is a booking. Does that make any sense to anyone? No. Yeah, but I don't think it applies here. It would make sense, but I think he did make contact with the shin. Can you you not break someone's foot, though, by stomping on someone's foot? But that's a... I mean, if you're doing it for every time someone's foot gets stamped on, we're going to be having no one left. I mean, but I think then you look at the pressure, don't you? Yeah, but then there's, there's another thing of no one really does look at the pressure, though, because everyone just goes, well, the contact's there, we'll do a still, we'll do a, a slow motion, and look, he's stamped on his foot. I think if you're going to do it on that, pretty much any time I've ever played football, I've been stamped on the foot. So every yeah. time someone would have been sent off. It it just seems strange on this to one, me I thought that he does there's something. So in which case. If they'd given a red card, I couldn't have had an argument with it. Can you? It just can seems you re- strange that you'd re- have re- this re- as a rule. I, I think there's I, I also. I want to hear the statement again. Stop I want to hear the because they'll find a reason no matter what, and we know that. But he seemed to. He said it was something new this season. They were that he was quoting. I think he's banking on the fact. That, are you going to go check the rule book? I ain't. <laughs> no, only when it's against mm. us. Then I'll. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing that. I'm not down with this yet. So, can you read me the statement again? Uh, well, I've not got it. Where he essentially said that because the initial contact was made with the foot rather than the leg, you can do less damage there. And so the maximum punishment in this situation was a booking. So it doesn't matter what weight is following behind the point of contact. Well, the, the question that was asked was, does it not come down to force? And he then tried twisting it and saying, well, actually, I think that's the reason why this isn't. Because when you look at the force that's generated by the time it's at his shin, 
then it's not enough to be doing the damage that we're talking about for a red card. And so he does say that force comes into it, but he said the placement overrides uh, the force. (laughs) I I think the theory behind that stacks up, but I just don't think it applies that challenge. At the same time as him saying this, he was showing a clip of Van Dyke making contact with the guy's shit. It wasn't just on his foot, it was on his shin. So- well, I was going to ask you, TK, because I, I, I waited for this just to get some clarity. And I, you weren't the only Liverpool fan that I saw say this in the moment was, you're going to see some screenshots of that one. Hmm. And Oh, because it's us. Is see, that because you it's, think it's, it's, it's like... against us. Everyone, everyone's got it for us. <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't actually disagree there. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because you think it's like the Napoli one? And that's the one we always go back to sure. and say it's the clearest case of we've seen the video and we've seen the picture and they're two very different stories. In this one, I actually thought the photo was just fairly, like, it didn't tell a different story to the video, I didn't think. Yeah, the Napoli one was also slightly different in that I thought he gets the ball a bit more cleanly and then it's the follow-through. And again, it's difficult with the follow-through, but they do happen. With this one, yeah, I thought if, if he'd given a red on that replay, I wouldn't have been able to come on here and go, oh, fucking hell, we got robbed. The flip side to it, though, I don't think it's Dale Robbie that he stays on the pitch. I don't think that's a, a challenge where I'm looking at you going, oh my God, that's a horror show. How has he stayed on the pitch? I don't think there's too I think, I was about to say, I don't think people could argue too, people could argue just about anything. But I don't think people could argue too, I don't think I can get too invested either way. But of course, people do. It's kind of, I think- Van Dyke's a war criminal or he, <laughs> Yeah. I think part of the worry is that we could see that same tackle later in the game and we're getting a completely different set of rules brandished to us. And the issue, I actually think it works in the favour of these officials that we all essentially tear each other limb from limb. And for the most part, they actually get it let go because we're able to all deflect it on ourselves. And I know you don't come off that way on here, TK. I've got to think, as you are a football fan, there is at least some part of you that does sit at home thinking that Liverpool are victimised. But maybe we just don't hear that side. In, in what sense? By like other... I'm I'm yet to meet a football fan that doesn't uh, feel pity towards themselves. And oh, what? So like by officials and by... yeah, yeah. Certainly during a game, you, I mean, you're, like, you're calling someone a cunt because they've given a throw-in against you. So it's, you know... But then once you kind of can get out of the 90 minutes, you can kind of realise, okay, I was being a bit mental there. Um, yeah, I've, I've always, you know, I've said it on here a thousand times, I've always thought fans are mental if they think there's a narrative against their club. I've always thought it. Um, because of the thing you spoke about before, that, okay, I've seen this from my fan base, and I see it from an Arsenal fan base. And I was, I see, <laughs> well, who's, maybe one of them is right. Agenda can be as anyway. And I've said it before as well. If you do yourselves a favour and go watch a lower league club, someone that, that nobody will give a fuck about. And you'll have Cheltenham fans swearing blind that the league is against them. Every week, these officials, oh, it's a general against Let me tell you, lads, nobody gives a fuck about Cheltenham down. Zero. So nobody's coming up with some Machiavellian plot against you. I can promise you that. And it's just a scaled up version with bigger clubs. That's all it is. I wasn't sure until Jack told me about Anthony Taylor and he convinced me. <laughs> Anthony Taylor is the only one that I genuinely believe in. What about the Barca one? Because he has apologised oh, since. Tom, yeah, or, or Rebo, <laughs> what his name is. That was, that was the case as well, but that was just a one-off. Taylor's systematic over the years. 
we said a say about Mike Dean, but then now Paul Tierney and <laughs> yeah, the list grows. <laughs> um, the issues with the decisions this week, I thought. I mean, the West Ham one, I thought was as bad as you'll see, and then the Newcastle one's even worse. I couldn't believe. I couldn't even believe. But those are the ones where it's unforgivable because I have no idea what you'll see in there to change this. Whereas yeah. a lot of them, I can see, well, there's a debate on this. And so even if I don't agree with your outcome, I can at least see how you got there. I have no idea how they got to the conclusion on any of these. And that's the, the new, and that's where the refs undo themselves. Because I think sometimes they get a hard time for making a 50-50 decision, which half the people agree with and half the people don't. On this, I can't make any logic on what they've come up with. The Newcastle one, I was hesitant to bring it up at the time because uh, I'd already mentioned us a couple of times. There was one right in the first season where VAR came in and the same thing that happens to uh, Joe Willock in this instance happened to Callum Chambers and it was either against Crystal Palace or it was against Brighton. Sure, it was against one of those two, but the same thing happened where the player gets pushed into, I think it was one of their defenders at the time actually, and he's ruled out for basically in the end obstructing the player that's going for the ball. And so I think we do maybe just need to look at the fact that these guys are inept. Yeah. Something I wrote down was you've got Liverpool Everton here and Arsenal United as the two kind of headline games of the weekend. And Jack did explain to me why, but I was quite disappointed that Chelsea West Ham wasn't on TV as well. Um, Is this the first time that, the headline games have actually lived up to being the headline games because they didn't go my way. And you had a nil-nil in the Liverpool one, but it seemed like they did completely live up to what you hoped for in the two games. Normally at least one shits out, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it was an entertaining nil-nil actually, wasn't it? I was about to say yeah. it was a nil-nil. It was plenty of chances still, so. Pickford looked good. Imagine how good he'd be if he had regular-sized arms. I wish he wouldn't turn into fucking Stretch Armstrong every game for us. He seems to just pull out of the back. Um, and obviously we were talk. we rode that Van Dyke one because obviously Pickford nailed him, so that's how it works. So obviously he didn't get red carded for that. So that's that's absolutely it's one all now. How Sounds a little ridiculous were you? How desperate were you for a late goal when we'd gone over the allotted injury time in the Everton game? I can't even describe. And yet you're still attacking. I can't even describe. That's was that Salah one. <laughs> At the end, was that already yeah, over time? Yeah, it was, yeah. If that yeah. had gone in, oh, <laughs> I might not have been on the pod. Because let me tell you, Cam was in a bad place. <laughs> oh, God. That would have been glorious. Absolutely glorious. And I just had to take to Twitter and say, look, it's a minimum. You've got to understand that. It's just a minimum. What? We, saw, we saw a real thing in, I wasn't watching the Liverpool-Newcastle game in midweek because Arsenal were on at the same time. Now, the narrative I kind of jumped into when I switched over, and to be honest, I was rooting for Spurs' demise, so I didn't even watch much of that that game. The big thing was about time-wasting. The stats afterwards suggested that wasn't as much of an issue, and I wondered from your perspective if you could explain how there was such a thing there. Because statistically, what was it? The ninth highest time of the ball being in play and yet every Liverpool fan I've heard of took such great joy in the celebration afterwards because they say Newcastle have been time wasting so horribly throughout the game yeah I do think the thing with that stat is is that even with time wasting you could still have a situation where the ball's in play a lot more so say you might have 
I don't know, Liverpool or a City game, if they have a large amount of possession, ball's probably not going out of play that much. So you've got that to factor in. No, Every time we get the ball, we're trying to take things quickly. So I did think the stats on that were kind of not really 100% relevant to the point people were making. Um, by contrast to say when, um, you know, Ruben Neves came out to slag Newcastle because of all they played with long balls. And then yeah. it turns out they yeah. played a lot more in Newcastle. Did. That's a relevant stat. You go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I picked apart his argument immediately. The issue, yeah, Newcastle Newcastle were time-wasted. And the main issue for me was that it seemed to be doing it like before half-time. There is a cut-off point here. I do hate that. Yeah. You know, if, if it's 70-plus and you're winning against Liverpool, you go, I can 100% get why you do this. But there was like, you know, taking time with goal kicks or whatever just before even half-time. Um so yeah, it, it did feel like justice. I won't lie; it did feel that, and I, I thought we were all kind of in an, an agreement, aren't we? That if they got this result, you've shit asked us, and it feels great. The flip, yeah. the danger is if it goes against you, you think, oh fuck, we, we got caught out trying to shit on someone. I thought that was kind of a silent agreement we were all under. Well, that was the reason I kind of struggled to understand how it could have been so outrageous because whenever a Newcastle want to put themselves in this bracket, there was a decent amount of people tuning in for the last 10 as well when, because of the other games yeah yeah so I, I imagine people tuning in it was like well, what's, what's all the fuss about it's been going on a decent well, amount was, of the game it's more because anytime I assume anytime Liverpool plays someone Liverpool can play us and we're supposed in a better position than Newcastle are if we're close to getting a result in the last 10 minutes we're probably going to time waste and I mean we'll do it to play teams, so. yeah and so that's why it seems so strange that I couldn't get my head around just how bad it could have been but Enough Liverpool fans have told me that it was pretty bad, was more so I can understand your joy. Yeah, I think what it is as well with Liverpool and Anfield, you've got to break up their momentum because they're such a momentum-based team that if you've got thirty-second breaks every two minutes, that momentum's completely. As a group of players and a fan base as well, they do but, get wrapped by it. They, yeah. it's, they fall for it every yeah. single time. There's no sort of um, there's no poker face at all. They get wrapped immediately. Even again, even when it was happening really early on, it actually got 30 or 40 minutes still to get the goals here. And yeah. they're acting like it's, you know, you've got five minutes left. It's, I'll be honest, it's kind of almost never learned the lesson from the uh, the Gerard Slip game. You know, when <laughs> Charles were doing everything they did. You know, yeah. does, does anybody ever learn about this? Apparently not. Because there was, there was the Henri incident where Kirkland wasn't there, where they're time wasting. He gives him the ball back after and offers him it's a time waste now. I love that. And that so, and so, yeah, that, that was the thing. In the moment, I was annoyed. I didn't have the context completely. It was just, well, we've gone over the minutes now. And if we were the attacking team and we go over, I could quote you every moment that the time should have been stopped for and why we're going over. And if we're defending and it's gone over, as I pointed out earlier, like Liverpool Arsenal in 2011, I can say, hang on a minute, we're one second over the 95th minute. Why the hell has the whistle not blown? So I can see why they'd be annoyed and I can see why you'd be just so overjoyed by it. Yeah, the the other thing with it is, is... It's unfortunate because it's happened with my team, but I have had a long-standing thing that stoppage time rarely reflects accurately anyway. So, We've got a guy in a booth now. Why can he not mm, just yeah. stop, start, stop, start? At least make him do something because he's clearly not doing much when it comes to uh, officiating the game correctly. Yeah, yeah. I think if if we were doing it accurately, you'd be having regularly eight, nine, ten minutes stoppage time and I think people would be shocked by it. Um, and we had... We had one like the, in the Brighton game, which was on uh, before Arsenal on Super Sunday, where there was 
a subjective VAR call, which does sound mental, but that's what we got, wasn't it, with Isaac's second goal? Against us, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen Newcastle fans telling tell me it was clearly onside. Uh, it was close, for sure. It was close. I thought it was probably was, but I thought it was probably offside, but there is a genuine thing, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but like with the Brighton one, there should be like, I don't know, like a frunk threshold where you just go, yeah, that goal's yeah. good enough that we're abandoning what we know about the rules here. Because that McAllister one, you're like, we've just been robbed of a potential goal of the season candidate for a stupid decision. I see you got robbed of a really good goal for a marginal offside. Yeah. I don't really know what the game's benefited from that. And I don't know. I wouldn't have been able to look at the Isaac one and go, oh, fucking hell, we've been robbed by an offside goal. I'd be going, I'd be, of course, as a fan, you'd be going, oh, that's offside. That's shit. You wouldn't really be what able to go, oh, our season's been ruined on it. It wasn't like an outrageous no. one. What they're saying now is that if the lines touch, then they rule it as onside. But they can't draw the lines as accurately as the issue. <laughs> no, because that's the thing. If they're spending so long, then I have to think it's such a minute gap for the lines. And look, we see it for that short of a period of time and there's no accountability. If they want to rule it out, they can draw that line a millimetre the other way just so there's a gap they can point to. Just to the eye. So again, I thought the Rashford one against us yeah. looked pretty clearly more offside than a lot of the ones we've seen get ruled out. So I don't, again, I don't I, really know how they're judging this. And I saw in the game we had against Bournemouth, I thought the Ben White one looked offside and then I thought the Jesus one looked onside. So I, <laughs> I've not got a clue anymore. Um, regardless of what you think of all of these calls, the, the, the threshold seems so bizarre because does it make sense that the Ericsson foul and the Mendy foul are sent to a VAR review, but the Romero hair pull and the Van Dyke tackle against Everton aren't? Like, I, I don't understand what makes them go to the monitor. I've never, I mean, I've not even got into the Mings one against, against Saka um, in the Villa game. It, I don't know if they could give us like a set of rules that we can kind of base this around because I don't see any rhyme or reason as to what isn't isn't called. Like, at what point does a guy in a booth say you don't need to look at that again, and at what point does he say you might want to have a second go at this? I don't think there is a huge amount of reasoning behind it. I because think because the Romero hair pull one, once that was it, it was like, well, what the hell's going on here then? Yeah, yeah, it's the only- and that's why I guess Chelsea fans are finding it hard to see why people are so irritated with them. I mean, I can see why we are. I just don't care because. <laughs> Good of you. Like we we are we are yes, you're owed no, you are owed nothing absolutely nothing. Could you you're like the voice in my head. It's, <laughs> you're like silent. Then all of a sudden you just come in <laughs> this omnipotent, <laughs> overarching voice. You're like my <laughs> Jack's telling himself we're owed everything, and Alex on his other shoulder again. You're owed nothing. You're owed nothing. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe AJ is actually the voice of my inner monologue. That, really <laughs> that is a terrifying thought for you, Jack. Well, I think that's probably a good point to uh, end things on. We've got the Champions League coming up this week and the Europa League. Just I don't want anyone to forget about that. Um, standout game of the weekend. Is there one? City Spurs. And there we go, City Spurs. Yeah, I'll look forward to coming on Monday where Spurs have had one shot and won one nil. So, <laughs> Richarlison with the goal. Yeah, we'll get into that then. So, 
me and TK have still got NFL and UFC to talk about, but we'll say goodbye to Jack and Alex here. UFC 279 then this weekend, and we have Nate Diaz, potentially his long UFC career coming to an end as he takes on Kamzat Shemaev in the final fight of his contract with the promotion. I think this one was looked quite depressing when it came together. It feels more depressing now that we've actually got it right in front of us, but not depressing enough that we won't be watching. Yeah, blood sport, isn't it? Um, for all the, the promos they've cut for, you know, the other week, Rogan saying, oh, well, you know, Nate Diaz is the ultimate test for you. It's just hard to convince yourself, isn't it? Yeah, and part of the thing with it is if it is just a kind of passing of the guard fight, which I still don't even really think this is, but anytime you have those, I have no real issue with them because I do feel circle of life mm. and all that. We do need those to have the sport keep functioning. There's something about this that does just feel quite nasty. And even down, I don't know how much of it's speculation, how much they think just the two names on top will sell. There's people that think because Nate has pay-per-view points, they've purposely just understacked this card. Jeez. But to be honest, it is a pretty brutal card to look at. Um, Nate's won one in his last four, and that was way back uh, against Anthony mm-hmm. Pettis at UFC 241. So well, we're on 279 now. His losses were to McGregor in the second fight. Could have gone either way. Masvidal and Leon. The Leon loss, I guess, is aged quite well considering he hurt him in the last yep. round. And Chimaev has just overcome the biggest hurdle of his career, defeating Gilbert Burns by decision. Elsewhere on the card, you've got Johnny Walker against Kutalaba. Johnny Walker's name isn't what Johnny Walker's name was. Irene Aldana against Macy Chasson, which don't need to be seeing that. Kevin Holland against Daniel Rodriguez. I think that yeah, was fun. Be. And... Tony Ferguson against Li Jingliang. Good boy. Which, again, if yeah, if we're saying the Nate one feels uncomfortable, I feel like the Tony one should be feeling uncomfortable too. You reckon that's worse? I no. don't think it's worse, but I think going up in weight after the way we've just seen you get knocked out against a guy who is really nothing but mm. a banger. I don't know. It, it, it stinks a bit of desperation when you start going up in weight after a knockout. It's like I've done nothing else. You were just trying to find yeah, something. Yeah, nowhere else to go, so I'll do that. Yeah, I, I did look at that and thought, coming off that knockout, that's a brutal fight to get put into. I'll, I don't know who you put him against, but I don't know if it's the leech. Um, no, it, it may be disrespectful to him, and I don't mean to to be so. But in terms of Ferguson, I've just had that extra bit of uneasiness ever yes. since that 911 call yeah. came out where his wife is saying he claims he can hear voices in the walls. I think it's pretty it's- incredibly underlooked that he essentially has had a breakdown and they just kind of carried on business as normal. I thought it's a little bit odd. Which it's essentially because he doesn't allow you to feel sympathy for him. I mean, the few fighters that tried it, he was calling him a pussy and <laughs> yeah. his usual like... The, he's kind of got the equivalent of when, when Mustafi we'd lose a game and Mustafi would do those back on top emojis <laughs> his like uh, Mr. Tiramisu uh, the champ is in a slight what are you doing here Tony you don't need and to he did do shut this. down that reporter who tried bringing up a big mental health thing didn't he so it was kind of I think everyone yeah, is now I, a bit nervous to even touch on it with him 
I do I do feel with that, I understand why the reporter asks it. I do feel I get his response as well. Guy, yeah, for sure. I feel he's probably quite mm. embarrassed, to be honest with you. Like that happens to well, it doesn't happen to ninety nine percent of people, but ninety nine percent of the people it does happen to. We never hear about it again. We never, we never hear about it. Media on, and he's was that on the no. fight week as well? I think so. He's probably thinking, I've got to get into a mental space where I'm. I don't know. Like, yeah. nothing bothers me, and you're bringing that up. Tricky. Yeah. Um. If we start with the main event, how do you see it? Do, can you, if Dana took the week off, and you had to stand in front of the media and they say, "TK." president of the UFC for a week, just how does Nate Diaz win this fight? <laughs> By taking a level of punishment that is frankly inhumane and just hoping that in that time Shemaev is gassed out. <laughs> you say, look, we've been in this business a long time. I don't think you need to be questioning what we do. You go back to sitting on your fucking couch because <laughs> we know what we're doing. Fantastic way to talk about the fans. Um, should should we feel sorry for Nate? Would Nate want us to mm. feel sorry for him? And dare I say, if Nate doesn't end up on the end of a highlight reel, is it a win for him moving forwards? It might be the latest chapter in a God, how tough is Nate Diaz? Mind it? Um, because you've got to think, unless something horrible happens here. He's what the next Jake Paul opponent. This is it, isn't it? Um, and I guess the the issue for Nate is if he does get, I don't know, a free four round paced in, even five round, which is why they've done this. He's got so many miles on the clock already. Add some more miles to the clock. Whatever chance you do have against Jake Paul is only going down the more punishment you take in this. And I, I do think. He doesn't mind taking a loss. I do think getting iced by Jake Paul would be tough for a man like him to take. So yeah. this fight isn't helping with that. I'm Nick must still be under contract because I cannot believe they've not approached him if not. And I say this as someone that likes seeing Jake Paul fight. Oh, it's the Jake Paul Nick but Diaz fight. Nick Jake yeah. Paul Nick Diaz would make like as much sense as yeah. <laughs> That's probably the most sensible thing his team could do in terms of Agreed. matchmaking. Um, but I assume he's still under some kind of contract. For Chimaev, is a win a win here, or does he need to do it more than that? I think he's got to look good. Um because he got undue stick with the Gilbert Burns fight. I think we said, well, look, I actually know a bit more about this guy now because him running through people yeah. in the first round wasn't teaching us anything. He's had a guy against kind of a perennial number one contender who probably won't be a champ in Gilbert Burns. And he's come through it. So once you've done that, Gilbert Burns is better than Nate Diaz. So you probably have to look good against Nate. Nate is there because of his name, isn't it? We know this. So you, I think it doesn't have to be a highlight reel, but he does have to look very impressive, I think. He, he also is a tough one because... He needs to do enough. One, where you're making the most of beating Nate Diaz. Two, if you're not going to get the title shot next, you need to generate enough hype where people are saying to either Masvidal or Covington, you have to face yeah. this guy next. Yeah, agreed. And Masvidal is the one that actually It really does, doesn't sense. it? Yeah. But Masvidal 
as long as Leon is champ, is never taking that fight. I think he's just holding out for that one. I I think he's made no secret of it. I think I don't know if you saw his reaction to what DC said about Masvidal. Yes, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, because at first I was yeah. like, "Who the hell is Masvidal coming at?" And I saw in the comments, "Oh, it's DC," and then I saw DC's comments, which I thought he was pretty yeah. fair. When when Masvidal uh, when DC didn't just posts he posted a picture of a stack of his belts, and it's like, "Well, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do now?" As a side note, I actually think, and we used to say this about McGregor, but his no excuses turned into no excuses, but actually here's quite a lot of excuses. Could Usman have handled this any better? No, no, he couldn't. Um, I, the only thing being, he's handled it so well, it's not in the same vein of thinking, is it, are you protesting too much? Is, is, he, is this all a big facade? Because it's very much a, like you said, yeah, no, he couldn't have taken it any better. Even on the Rogan thing, saying that Leon made him take a twenty-second nap, was it or something? He said, you know, "Yeah, that is a, a casual way in which most fighters would never talk," which is is good, hopefully. Um, yeah, I, I think enough people have probably told him nine times out of ten, you don't get head kicked there and you win that fight as long as you get the rematch. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, and I, I am inclined to think he might win the rematch just that way. Yes. So yeah. I, I can see how you would come to that conclusion. I think if you saw him standing and trading at any point in the first one, having seen how easily he can take him down after the first round, yeah, he'd be a fool not to take that it, game plan exactly. again. And what actually made him become far more fan favorite was he realized that he could stand up with these guys like Masvidal and still come out with a win. Maybe we see a far more Alessandro-like performance moving forward, at least yeah, for the next one. I suspect one. you may be right. Um, this card, I'm interested to know how this card is going to do because Diaz does carry the mm. name brand and so does Chimaev, but at the same time, I'm yet to hear anyone give any opinion other than the fact, does Chimaev get him out of there early or does he get him out of there late? Yes. The issue you've got with Nate is, is that he hasn't got that like freakish one sort of skill that you go, okay, well, he might win with this other than just being incredibly tough. He hasn't got that one hit a quitter in him. He's obviously good on the ground, but you're probably not thinking he's going to go in and sort of choke him out. It's no, it's kind of always been his problem. It's, let's face it. The thing with Nate was he was just kryptonite for someone like McGregor. And it just so happened McGregor's comfortably the biggest star in the sport. <laughs> yeah. So it worked on his favour. When he yeah. climbed like, against other people, he's like, oh, okay, this guy is nowhere near the top, and that's why. Well, it worked with Anthony Pettis as well, didn't it, his last win, where Pettis actually had some success, yeah. and then he just ground and him it was, down. And I think that's the one where he quits yeah. in the corner, isn't it? It was so a vintage you know, Diaz, wasn't it, where that first, that first round, you yeah. thought Pettis is showing what he's got, and then you just sort of drain out of him, because Diaz was like, right, yeah. you're in my fight now. And that was a as good as we've seen I probably thought, Nate really I thought it's very telling that the UFC have essentially I'm assuming not really bothered to ask him to do any promo if you look at all of the yeah it's as one-sided a promotion campaign as I've seen since uh, Nunez Rousey yeah yeah where you would not have known that Nunez was in the fight crazy and then I don't think you're going to get the outcome where the person says, "Look, you overlook me," because at the end of the, at the would, end of the day, it would be phenomenal if Nate could pull it off. 
uh, be a huge middle finger to the UFC as well on his way out. But uh, yeah, I was kind of, and I don't know how it how it would work. Part of me thought you may see closer to the time then put an interim belt on the line for this. And that's only because I know the UFC has a champion clause in the contracts of their fighters. So, so I don't know if it worked then, where if yeah. Nate won, he would have a one-fight uh-huh. extension until he lost that belt. I wondered if they might try and include that anyway, even without the belt. But uh... Yeah, they usually have yeah, their tactics. That's it, isn't it? It's the only thing being, you imagine we'll hear about that from Nate, if there is anything, because he'll probably come out and say it. Yeah, he's been pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. That- you will not see him fighting in the that's UFC how he's found himself on which more and more fighters have been doing it and more and more fighters don't have the clout of Nate Diaz. So look, speak your truth, but I guess it's kind of, it feels horrible to say it, but you've almost got to know your worth in those situations and weigh it up as in, if I'm not fighting for the UFC, where, I'm else, where else am I going to be fighting? And that's why, these fighters find themselves in this position. It's not right. No, but, but that, Dana knows it, doesn't he? He knows he's holding all the cards. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then lastly today, we do have the UFC, not the UFC, the NFL oh, coming goodness. back this weekend. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss the first red zone of the season, which I'm very gutted about. Actually. It is magic on a Sunday Maybe, night. Actually, to be, to be fair, I get back on the coach from the Arsenal game at five past six, I think. Okay. It's just, the signal is yeah. not the best uh, coming from London. But I'll be home for the Packers game. I don't know if you saw we're on TV. Oh, we? Oh, nice. Yeah, that's the uh, half nine game. So it's not even that dreaded <laughs> That's dreaded Sunday it's late. It's Vikings as well. It's a big game. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, so the plan is that after one weekend of action, we will do a bigger NFL preview next week. And maybe I'll try and get Cam on, I'll try and get Sean on, and we'll do it a yeah. bit more in depth. The question here just for us to look back on uh, next February. Do you have the Bills and the Bucks in your Super Bowl next year? Or are you picking uh, anyone different? I've got a feeling. And it's only a feeling. I've got a feeling we could see Chiefs and 49ers run it back. I've got a feeling we could. I think Trey Lance is going to give you some moments where you think oh god what have they got here but some other outstanding moments I think the team around him is good enough um, that they can sort of get over the hump it, I guess the thing is the AFC is stacked and the NFC is just a mess and as a result you kind of don't know which come out from even, but for very different reasons I guess Rams and 49ers are probably the, the standouts in the NFC and I, I do think yeah something about the 49ers I think they'll get over it and I think the Chiefs are going to have made such an effort to Proves that one that Mahomes is still the guy because he's got a few pretenders to the throne. Because of the way they went out last year, they'll be more determined. And obviously, with Tyreek going, I think they're going to focus more on. I've already yeah. read about the improvements they made to the offensive line, and if they've got one of the best offensive lines and Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> that's a pretty good combo. Yeah. So I think they're going to be on a, a revenge tour. But uh, but anyone in that AFC, I mean, there's some great teams in there. If. If if I told you um, the two most selected teams to be in the Super Bowl on NFL.com, if I told you number one was the Bills, who would you say is the second choice? After the Bills? I mean, yep. do they have to be on the opposite side of the thing here? Or is this, you know, so yeah. I'm going to say, because I would assume you probably have a list of probably AFC teams. It could be ahead. 
Rams again. I told you they were from Green Bay. I just <laughs> the thing is, when are people going to learn about this team? This team it'll probably get to the playoffs. It's just lost the number one receiver. Haven't really done anything to replace it. Has all of the failings that it's had previously, but without one of its blue chip talents. Uh, people are making the case that actually this is going to free up and he's going to start throwing it all around the place to all the other receivers. It's like when you're... You know when United got rid of Lukaku and everyone's like, where the goal's going to come from? Like, well, actually, all these other players are just going to start scoring more than that. Rashford and Martial. Like, no, they're not. They've already shown you they're not going to. And that's how, how I stand with the Packers, as well as the mental frailty we've got, it seems, in the playoffs. And Rogers deciding he's going to become a fucking hippie in the summer. And he's off his tits out every other week, apparently. Have you? I think um, the next guest on Joe Rogan, by the way, is Andrew Tate. <laughs> what has he actually got him on? It, it's it's rumored to be like, that would be some up. scary numbers. And Rogan was speaking about how his sons love him on his last podcast. Yeah, that's not great. That's not great. I don't think people should be Do not deep platform, that- but I'm not sure if they should go on Rogan either. <laughs> Do you not believe that Romeo Dubes is the truth? No, but I'm looking forward to who's the receiver we lost that's gone. He's gone to the Chiefs, hasn't he? Is it Valdez? Um, Valdez yeah, Valdez Scantlin. I know for why he's going to start fucking cooking now and we're going to get, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, Rogers wanted to keep him. Rogers wants a lot of things. But I don't see yeah. how his teammates are going to have watched what he's been up to over the summer and go, you know what? I'm more in tune with this guy now. I'm going to be on board. I, I don't see it. So, I mean, if you ask me which is more likely, Green Bay gets to the Super Bowl or don't make the playoffs, I prefer not to speak. Blimey. Um, I saw the explanation I saw for why Dubes is going to cook this season was basically, well, you know, CD Lamb actually struggled to catch it in his first preseason as well. <laughs> That was it. That, that was the explanation. <laughs> he couldn't catch a ball for love nor money, so this is actually a good sign. Um, I have seen people say that essentially if the Packers do well, then he's going to have to do well. And so with odds of 10 plus to one for him to be offensive rookie of the year, you could do worse than to have a look at him. Okay. Okay. Who have you got? Uh, Bills Rams. I would like that. That'd be fun. And that doesn't feel a very bold choice at all, but the, the team I'm actually most looking forward to seeing back are the Ravens, just how obliterated they were by injuries last year. The fact that it's very well documented that Lamar Jackson's one and three in the postseason. There are a few players in the NFL that I love watching yeah. more. And uh maybe we get Packers Ravens in the Super Bowl. That would be a lot of fun till we till the Lamar starts cooking us. So that wouldn't be so fun. <laughs> yeah, but we'll do a bit more on this next uh, next week. I'll get uh, everyone else dialed in. So thank you again for listening to another edition of this Bitballing Pod. If all has gone to plan here, hopefully things sounded a bit smoother this week. Um, this was episode three hundred. Thank you for listening to us. Make sure to check back in with Movie Madness one forty nine this Friday. Thank you.